Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Like, I'm just I'll be honest, I don't have to do this. I already did it twice today. I'll just, we'll just go on to B-dubs and wait for Game of Thrones, all right? Let's do that. Whoa, hey, whoa. I, I can't, I can't move past this, but just for the record, we have said Jesus at least 45 times, and not once did we get a response like Game of Thrones just got. So I, I question your motives right now, honestly. So... Anyways, um, well, good evening, everyone. My name is Jeff, and I am one of the leaders here at Renaissance, and, and you have joined us on our first ever capital campaign called Count Me In. We are going to do some uh, great things over the next few weeks where we talk about the vision of the church and where God is, is we believe, leading us, and we're going to ask you to partner with us as we do that. But to sort of set the stage for where we're going, we have put together a short little video for you, so if you would just direct your attention to the screens here, um, and just... By the way, uh, feel free to applaud at the end of this video, but go ahead and enjoy this. This is awesome. We call ourselves Renaissance because we see the definition of the word played out both in our city and our lives. Rebirth, renewal, revival, all describe the impact of old things being made new, dead things being brought back to life. Look around us. Our city is changing, and the evidence is found downtown. Empty buildings that once stood as monuments to despair and hopelessness now stand as beacons of hope to a city whose pulse is being restored. And this renaissance is transforming more than brick and mortar. Our lives are also being made new, and we now fill the buildings that were once left empty. When we began, we chose to gather in a space that was unwanted and slated for demolition. An old funeral home that once honored those who were dead is now a place where people come to find eternal life. As we sing and proclaim the truth and love of Jesus, we are a part of the renewed pulse of our city and a picture of the hope promised to all the world. We gave our time, talents, and money to build our church. And since then, we have witnessed continuous growth as God sends us those he loves. Innovating as we went along, we faced the challenges of small bathrooms, overflowing kids' classes, and a crowded main room. Every time we thought we had reached our limits, we began again. We added more gatherings and expanded into more space, annexing the empty building next door. The tension of growth was relieved for a while. But informed by our past, we always knew a day would come when we would have to do it all over again. That day is here. And that's okay, because we are Renaissance. 
Our name means rebirth, renewal, and revival. We will reimagine our church and embrace this tension. We began with hard work and great resolve, and we will move forward with the same, rebuilding and repairing our space so more people may come. With a heart for the city and the heart of the city, we commit to this task God has given us, sharing the truth and love of Jesus so our city and all its people may be transformed. So if we want to continue to call ourselves Renaissance, we must begin again. So, so do you feel that? That's, that's kind of the, the place that we're at right now, that we're looking to, to begin again. We're looking to create more space so that more people can come to hear about the truth and the love of Jesus. That is our goal. So if you've ever been picked up by a friend who says, hey, bro, I want to take you somewhere, and like you jump in a car because you trust him, and you don't know where you're going, and on the way there, you're like, hey, where are we going? He's like, you'll see, man. It's going to be awesome when we get there. You're like, no, but seriously, I want to know where we're going. It's like you've been in a car for a long time now. <laughs> like you're leaving the seat. Where are we going? And they're like, you'll see. It's going to be awesome. And don't you hate people like that? Yes, the answer is yes to that. So I don't want to be that guy to you right now, so hear me. This is where we're going right? Not this Sunday and not next Sunday, but on the third Sunday of this series, I'm going to ask you to commit with us to give to the church generously. I'm going to ask you to fill out a commitment card. We have these commitment cards available to you. And we're not asking you to do anything with them today, but on the, on the third Sunday, we're going to ask you to join with us as we follow the vision that God has given us. There are people who come to Renaissance, who've been coming to Renaissance for some time, who never give anything. And we're fine with that, just so you know. We love serving you. Those that would come and just enjoy what we're providing for you. We're, we're sort of putting Jesus, this sounds so weird, but like, like on a, a platter and presenting him to you. Please feast with us. We don't expect anything of you. But maybe in a few weeks, as you really catch the vision for what God wants to do with Renaissance, maybe you'll say, this is my home now. And like your home, like students here, welcome back, by the way. But when you go home for college, you know, on the summer break, your mom doesn't just let you do whatever. It's like back to chores and all of that stuff again. There's an expectation when you're part of the family. You help shoulder some of the load. So for some of you who have never given, God will place it upon your heart to start. And it's okay. And for those of you, like myself, who already give, I give to the church weekly and have since the beginning. I, I, the church that I was in before, I gave to that. The church I was in before, I gave to that. It's just part of who I am. But God has been speaking to me about giving more. And, and maybe some of you will have a sacrificial gift that you want to give, that you'll commit with us to provide the finances, the money necessary to remodel that third floor. Did you see that last scene in that film? That's where we're headed. Is that the most decrepit piece of property you've ever seen? Yes and we own it. It's awesome. And we're, we're going to remodel that. I promise you, that's where God is leading us. And it'll be incredible. And for those of you that give a little, you'll start to give more. And then there's people in the room who honestly have the resources to just give a shot in the arm to write that check. You know what I'm talking about. To write that check, and you'll start this process off. And for those of you that God is speaking to you about that, thank you for that. But just so you know, that is the direction we're headed. That's where we hope to go.
So I have but a singular goal today. I have one thing that I want to do. I want to, to tell you guys that I know that this is an important decision for many of you to commit to a church, to give your resources. Many of you not having much resources, but to begin to, begin to trust God with them and to trust God's uh, leadership of this church and the, and the leadership here as we move forward to follow Jesus. This is a, a, an important decision for us. I know that. And like all important decisions, they must be informed decisions. So my singular focus is today is to give you two, two pieces of information. Um, but before I do that, I would like to pray for us, if that's okay. And um, I just always find it's best that, that we ask God to help. I know we've kind of thanked him and praised him earlier, but now I want to ask God to help us. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you again for our time together. I pray over the next few weeks that we would hear clearly and truly your voice and that we not get caught up in the other voices and, and all kinds of stuff, but we would hear your direction for the church as you've given it to us. God, I pray for the individuals who come and who are calling Renaissance home. We thank you for them. And God, would you place it upon their hearts to, to shoulder with us, to help us um, reach the city f- uh, with the truth and love of Jesus. Would you help us to make more room so that more people can come? We just thank you for all the work that you're doing, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. First piece of information that I think is imperative for us to understand if we're going to commit to one another and to grow the church that I think God is calling us to is this. We have to understand that God is an inviting God. Would you agree with that? That God is inviting us continually and always to know him. In fact, it's, this is nothing new. We find all of uh, a, a myriad of stories in the Old Testament where God has been inviting those characters that we read about to know him as well. You can read the first book of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1 where God creates everything. He dreams up. I don't know what this looks like, right? But he, he dreams up what he wants the heavens and the earth to look like. And then through great power and authority, he speaks those things into existence. And then he creates mankind, Adam and Eve, and he places them in this, this garden or whatever this thing looks like. And he tells them to, well, my words, but he tells them to go play in it. Hearing every, every step they take, there's an invitation to know God greater. If you want to know an artist better, you study his art. And every bite they take, every step they take, every brook they wade through, they're understanding the heart of God more. The invitation for Adam and Eve was to know him. Do you see this? This is wonderful. Abraham, the father of the faithful, you read this story in Genesis as well, that he lives in his own land, serving his own family and worshiping a false god. And God whispers to him and says, hey, bro, again, my translation, hey, Abraham, why don't you leave all of this behind and come follow me? The invitation for Abraham to follow him, to trust him, to see God provide for him, to give him a family that he never thought was possible. And, and, and Abraham is learning how great and powerful God is as his family grows into a great nation, the nation we call Israel. This nation, Israel, kept in captivity in Egypt, is rescued by a man named Moses in the invitation to follow God into the promised land, the land the Bible tells us that's flowing with milk and honey honey, what is that like? But they're seeing an invitation to know God and his provision and his power. God invites us to know him. And the Old Testament is replete with stories like that, which all point to the greatest invitation of all, to know Jesus. You see that? That all of these invitations and, and their, to know God is, is the same thing that Jesus picks up on when he comes to earth. 
that Jesus knows the heart of God because he is the son of God. And he comes in, and I want to read for you a passage out of John's gospel. If you have a Bible with you, in John chapter 1, I want to read verses 35 through 42. And in this story, we see Jesus sort of breaking onto the scene, if you will. And the first thing he does is he invites people to follow him. I want to read all the verses together, 35 through 42, and you can follow along on the screen here. And then we'll talk about them a little bit. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of the disciples, two of his students, and he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, there, look, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned around and saw them and was like, what do you guys want? What are you seeking from me? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And they said to him, he said to them, rather, come and you will see. There's the invitation. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day until it's about the 10th hour. And one of these two disciples, these two young students of John, right, his name was Andrew, and he had a brother named Peter. And he went and found his own brother Peter and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ, which means the chosen one, which means the anointed one. This is the one sent by God. We have found him, brother. Please come with us. And it says in verse 42 that they brought him to Jesus. They bring him to Jesus. Now, I want you to I want to pick a couple things apart in this little passage. First, um, the, the guy John that, that we're reading about here in verse 35 is not the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. It doesn't matter much, but I just think that John, the baptizer here, is just a wild character, man. He lives out in the desert, right? He lives, and he's got probably crazy hair. I don't know. But he, he, he's constantly living in the desert, and he's, he's yelling things into the wilderness to anyone who will listen. And he's saying things like this, stop living your life your way. Return to God, the great and wonderful God, the God who loves you, the God who provides for you. And he's constantly telling them to stop doing what they're doing in their own life and to start serving and following God. And many people would say yes to this and they'd be baptized into the River Jordan in repentance of their sin, saying, Lo, Lord, we have sinned against you. Please help us walk the straight path now. And they would do these things. And John is out in the wilderness and he's teaching people about the goodness of God. And one day, this, this dude named Jesus walks by. And and John stops and he says, oh my gosh, behold the Lamb of God, and he previously said, who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I could go on and on. We could do a whole series on that line alone. Just know this for tonight, that what he's saying is this is the one. This is the promised one. When sin entered the world back in Genesis chapter 3 and a a chasm was was developed between God who's holy and perfect and just and his broken and sinful uh, creatures that God wanted them back and he set in that moment a rescue plan and that rescue plan involved a sacrifice, a sacrifice of God's own son, Jesus. And when he walks by, John understands it through the spirit and he says, this is that lamb of God. This is that sacrifice. This is that one come to rescue us from from our sins. This is the one who's going to restore our relationship with God. Can you see this? And, and John's f- students or disciples, whatever, they do exactly what I would do. Oh, that's the one we've been waiting for? See ya. And they start following after Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? And they say, we want to know who you are. We know more about you. And Jesus gives them that invitation in verse 42. He says, why don't you come and see? Come and see. The Bible tells us that Jesus was homeless. They're not following him to his house to see his new big screen. It's not that thing. The invitation is to know him. And then Andrew, Andrew seems to have this understanding that, that God has as well. He, he gives us a picture of it when he sees his, 
his own brother, and he goes to find his brother and says, you need to, find, you need to come with us and see Jesus. Andrew seems to understand something that, that we also need to know. That it, the invitation is to not just know who God is, but the invitation is to join with God as he does the work on the earth. Ooh, that's a whole other thing. And Andrew seems to get it. So take this Andrew and this Peter, these two brothers, they now know who Jesus is, right? And they find themselves back at work on Monday or whatever it looks like. And in Mark's gospel, chapter one, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees Andrew and Peter casting nets because they're what? They're fishermen. And Jesus says to them, hey guys, why don't you do this? Why don't you set those nets aside and come with me? A second invitation here. And I will make you fishers of men. What? You have to understand this is the heart of God, to not just know who he is, but to join with him in establishing the work that he's doing. Now, go with me back to Adam and Eve and to those few stories from the Old Testament. When Adam and Eve were placed in that garden and God told them to frolic amongst yourselves, right? Have fun and, and, and know who I am. He also said these words to them. He says to be fruitful and multiply. Do you know that God created Adam and Eve in his image? When, when God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful, he's saying, make more of me and place me into my kingdom and establish my authority and my rule and reign there. He says, have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish in the sea. Establish my kingdom here. The invitation is more than to just know who he is, but it's to join him in the work that he's doing. Abraham's call was to, to know more than just the, the faithfulness of God, but he was, he was being used by God to build a nation that God would call unto himself that would then show the world how good and great and powerful God was. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is this moment where, where God is walking with his people, his beloved, his, his nation of Israel, right? And he finds himself very frustrated with them. Do you ever get frustrated with some of your own family? Don't raise your hands, right? <laughs> The answer is yes. And God does this really cool thing. He, he tells Moses, um, I'm going to turn around right now because if I look at them for another second, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses goes, don't do that, Lord. And he tells the Lord, he says, don't do that. And here's why. This is the argument that Moses puts before him. He says, because if you do that, then the other nations won't believe you because you said, you said that you would rescue your people out of slavery and take them into the promised land. And if you kill them all in the desert, and oh, I know they deserve it, Lord. I know they deserve it. But then the nations won't believe who you are. The invitation for Israel to be faithful to God was so that the other nations would see how great and powerful and how true he was. The invitation is not to just know who he is, but to join him in his work that he's doing. And so Andrew and Peter and some other ragtag group of guys called the disciples, the 12 or whatever, they follow Jesus for the next three, three and a half years, and they have the wildest ride of their lives. Can you imagine being with Jesus when they go upon dead girls and raise them back to life? They see blind eyes, pray for them, and they're open. Dead, or deaf ears are opened again. Crippled or lame people walk again. Think about this. This is their life for the next three, three and a half years, and they're teaching people the goodness and the greatness of who God is and that Jesus is the chosen one come to rescue his people. Jesus follows the, uh, obediently the call of God on his life, goes to a cross and sacrifices his own life on a cross for us. He bears the punishment of sin for us, and they, they murder him, and they push him into a grave where God leaves him for three days. And on the third day, God raises him from the dead. Someone say Hallelujah. Hey, right on. I love it. All right, so you're awake. So listen, yes, I had no idea. So he, he, 
He raises him from the dead, and for the next 40 days or so, Jesus spends time with his friends and family, his disciples. And before he's about to return back to heaven, he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Listen, I am authorized to tell you what I'm about to tell you, he says. He says, I want you to go into the nations. I want you to make disciples. Now, real quick, I know we just said a churchy word, and immediately some of you thought accountability groups and, and some discipleship programs, some type of workbook and early morning coffees. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That is discipling. I get it. What Jesus is saying to them is go into the nations, find people who don't know me, and make disciples. He's saying to them, replicate yourself here. This is the call of Adam and Eve all over again. Come with me and reestablish my kingdom here on the earth. That's what God is calling them to do. And I would argue that is what God is calling us yet to do today. Would you agree with that? Ah, yes. So the invitation is to not just know him, but what? To join him in the work that he's doing. And therein lies the first piece of information that we need to make this informed decision in two weeks. And the second piece is this. In the fall of 2016, Renaissance as a church stopped growing. That every year previous to that, since our beginning in 2011, we have grown every year. It's almost crazy. We seem to grow every week at some point. We started with 50 to 60 people in the, the, the spring of 2011. Um, that quickly grew to 100 and something, 120. And in 2014, we decided to add a second service because we needed more room so that more people can hear the truth and love of Jesus. And so we did that. We re-innovated reimagine what church could look like. We added a morning service, which just for the record, I was convinced would fail because we're night church, right? We come to church at six o'clock at night. Someone say, all right, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, these morning church people, who wants them, right? Let the other churches have them. I promise you, I felt this way. So this morning church experiment, right, is what I think it is, will fail miserably. Wrong. It soon, it soon took over as the, the main service, truly. And in 2015, we added another morning service. And now we're up to three gatherings every week. And as the people continue to come in, we found that in 2016, we plateaued at around 600 people every weekend. 600 people come through our doors. And, and I want you to know there are people missing. There are people missing. You know it to be true. Look down the row around you. There are people that were here last week that aren't here this week. I don't know where they're at. That Mayweather-McGregor thing kept him out too late. I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, just so you know, when I'm drinking coffee out of a cup like this, I was out late last night. I'm just saying, right? I get it. But there are people that aren't here, and they're missing. We know they're supposed to be here. There are probably 800 to 850 people, and I don't have the actual numbers, who would call Renaissance home, and yet only 600 of them come on a weekend. Why is that? And I know some of them, if they've told me this, that they get up, they snooze, they, they snooze twice, they snooze three times. Someone say amen, right? And they, they get up and they're going to go to church and they realize, man, I'm running late. If I get there now, guess what? I won't find a seat. And I don't want to sit in overflow, they say. And so what do they do? They stay home. I get it. I get it. Totally get it. I understand it completely. So even though we're 600 people, we've plateaued, there's people missing. Know this secondarily, there are people that I'm praying for, maybe people that you're praying for, people that we want to see come to know who Jesus is, and they're not here yet, are they? Yet, are they? And they will come. 
they will come, but in the current capacity right now, we don't have any more space for them. Adding a fourth service for us is just not an option. So we need to, to make more space so more people can come to know Jesus. Now, I want to give you a little backstory of, um, and I'm not trying to oversell this, and I mean this sincerely, but I believe God did a miracle um, in our lives, in, in the church's life, um, a couple years ago. And I want to give you that story real quick. In, and I think 2013, I, I don't know my dates. I'm really bad with details, just so you know. <laughs> drives my wife crazy. But I think it was 2013 or so. Um, we were renting this space, and the owner of this building, well, actually the owner of the entire block, right, at that time, they came to us and they said, hey, we'd like to sell you this building and the building next door if you'd be interested in it. And we said, yeah, we'd love to be interested in it, but to be very frank with you, we don't have any money. I mean, we're a church plant. We have 50, 60 people coming. We have about a $70,000 budget. There's no way we can afford $625,000 to buy downtown property. I love the idea of it. We can't do it. So we say no. And so we go back into what we know to do, which is open the Bible, teach people about Jesus, worship him with an awesome band, so you know, right? And, and do this every week and every week. And God continues to send more people. And every week the church continues to grow. And a year and a half goes by, we've added that second service. And now we've actually got a little bit of a budget. We've got some money and we know we need the space. So we go back to the owners of the property and says, okay, let's do this. Where do we sign? We'd like to buy the buildings. And they said to us, it's not for sale. And we're like, What? I don't even understand what's happening right now. Like you offered it to us and now you're unoffering it to us? Is that a thing? They, they did that. So we're like, okay, we didn't know what to do. So we go back to what we know to do, which is open the Bible, teach people about Jesus and worship him with a great band. It's all we know to do and we continue to do that. And, and God does what he does and brings more people every week. By this time we have a third service. We know we have to do something. So we look around. We scour the city for bigger buildings. We have 4,000 square feet here. We need more space. And we found a building next door to the Lincoln Theater. It's called the Odd Fellows Building, which I think is so suiting to us, just so you know. The Odd Fellows Building. So we buy the Odd Fellows Building. It has 12,000 square feet. And, and we start to demo it and do some renovations. We're meeting with architects. We're getting design drawings done. And we're about ready to start on that. And yet God continues to keep pouring in more people. And the most crazy thing happened. We outgrew that 12,000 square foot building before we moved into that building. Now what do we do? And may I add a little tension to this moment here is that we're now on a month to month lease. And at any moment, our landlord could say, Hey, um, I think I'm done. I sold the buildings to someone else, an investor from Chicago, who knows where. You guys have 30 days to vacate. Just so you know, it's hard to find five, a room for five or 600 people to meet in, a, in 30 days' notice. So we, we go around, and we're meeting with other churches. We're asking them, if we become homeless church, which we were considering as a name at that time, if we become <laughs> homeless church, can we, can we come and, and worship in your space in a time that you're not using your building? Like, we're trying everything we could possibly imagine. We are hedged in. There's no place for us to go. And yet God is honoring our commitment to be faithful to him, to open the Bible, to teach about Jesus, to worship him with the great band. And he keeps doing what he does, sending more people. We need help. And I'm reminded of the story of Israel hemmed in between the, the Red Sea and Egypt's army behind them, wanting their slaves back in this tense moment when like, oh, no, whatever shall we do? 
And you know the story. God does what God does. He opens a path, and they walk through on dry ground. And it's a miracle. Would you agree that's a miracle? Of course it is. Of course it is. That's why it's in the Bible. It's miraculous. And we're standing in what we feel is almost the same situation with no place to go. And then out of the blue, dude, I promise, out of the blue, the owners call us and say, hey, those buildings that I wanted to sell you and then didn't want to sell you, I'd like to sell them to you. Would you be interested? And I went, poker face, poker face, poker face. I'm going, yeah. I'm like, oh my, you have no idea. Yes, the answer is yes. But I'm like, I don't know, we'll think about it. You know, we got some other stuff we're looking into. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. So, so I, I go before the church, and you, if you were here last year, you remember this. In the spring, we came before the church as a body, and we asked you to vote on whether or not we should purchase these buildings. And did I tell you it was a, a miracle what God did? Not only was it a miracle that he gave us the opportunity to buy the buildings, but miraculously, you guys voted unanimously yes to buy those buildings. And I don't know if you know much about church votes, but there's never a unanimous church vote, <laughs> ever. It is a flat-out miracle. There's always one guy. We call him Bob, who's frustrated with everything, right? right? There's always one guy that's going to vote no. We had a unanimous yes. So in the spring of 2017, we closed on these two buildings, we have 4,000 square feet here and 10,000 square feet next door. We are currently using this space. But if you dream with me, and if you think with me, right above us is another 28,000 square feet. Right above us, there, all totaled, we have 42,000 square feet. I think we have more room so that more people can come to know who Jesus is. The issue we have is they are in desperate need of renovation. Did you see that picture in the video? Right? That's where we're headed. And so we need capital. That's where we're at. This is the second piece of information that we need. The church has plateaued, and yet God is an inviting God. So we're in this tense moment. Now, I want you to know, over the last five years as we've been leading the church, we always keep our expenses well below our income. We have always been in the black every year. And over the last five years or so, we've been able to save hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean that. We had a lot of money, and it helped us purchase the building. It helped us keep a, a safety reserve. Dave Ramsey, anyone? We keep three to four. Whoa, calm down. We keep... <laughs> We keep three to four months of expenses just in the bank. We don't touch it. We don't look at it. We leave it there. And we had an extra hundred some thousand dollars that we, we began to use to start remodeling these buildings. Have you been watching? We've replaced the windows on this building, right? We did, we did tuck pointing outside. We repaired the roofs. We did vine removal. We did all kinds of stuff in preparation of making these buildings dry and weathertight so that we can then start the process of demo and remodeling. And over the last few months, we have just taken our cash reserves down to a place where we just can't spend anymore. And we're okay with that. This, this place that we're in right now is absolutely normal for us. We, we, we live in this tension. We know what's next. But we, we're going to come together, we believe, as a church, and we're going to talk about how to move forward into that space. And so we have put together, painstakingly, I might add, <laughs> this little booklet for you. 
And you can grab one of these in that little sidewalk station or elsewhere in the church on your way out today. And inside of this little booklet, you'll have some information. Much of it I've already shared with you today. It has a frequently asked question thing in the back that you can maybe get some answers to questions. There's some most, my most favorite, or favorite people in the back giving little testimonials about how great the church is to them. Um, there's some pictures here about what the church might look like when we eventually get that place remodeled. Um, I know you can't see that from there, but it looks really awesome, just so you know. But take one of these home with you. And inside of it, you'll find this card, this commitment card. And we're, we're thinking that this, this commitment to get the third floor of that building renovated, which we think could probably house a main room uh, where we have 140 chairs in here. We think we can get 350 to 375 chairs into the main room there. Is that more room for more people? Yes, it is. Can you imagine inviting a friend to church with you and not have to worry about sitting in overflow and not feel guilty for saving four or five you know, seats in your row? Who feels like, like guilty when you like throw your coat over that when people are walking around looking for a seat? Yeah, we have that opportunity to do that. And for the, over the next two years, we want to raise sort of the, the capital to do that. And you'll have this opportunity to fill this out. Our, our tagline around here is we have a heart for the city in the heart of the city. And so we're wanting to know if you guys, can we count you in in helping us to reach people for Jesus? And there is the slogan of our capital campaign. Um, on the back of this card, it says, I'm all in. That's what we want people to say. That's what I'm saying. Like, we're, can I be very, very frank with you? We're going to do this. We've, I believe it, absolutely. The question then is, will we get $80,000, right? And if we get 80 grand, I'll, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. And we will spend it, and we'll spend it quickly, but we will spend it <laughs> to get whatever we can get done next door. Or if $800,000 comes in, who, who would pray crazy numbers like that with me? That's, dude, I talked to someone this morning. She's like, I've been praying for the last few weeks that God would send $5 million. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> You're my best friend. I had no idea. I didn't know I had another best friend. I got another best friend. <laughs> Isn't that cool? God would place it upon their hearts. Listen, they're praying that we would be generous. They're praying that we would step it up, that we would partner with God. Again, the invitation is to not just know him, but to join him in the work that he's doing. We're going to go forward. We believe that. So in all of my studies leading up to this, and if you don't know me well, you, know, you should know this. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at my friend, Kim, because she does know me well. She knows that this is a terrifying moment for me to talk about money in the church, that I avoid it like the plague, if that's the thing, right? I, I avoid it. We, we don't pass an offering plate here. Did you know that? And I, we make that decision because I know all of our friends say this. So I don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? Well, all the church is interested in is what? My money. So we're like, bet. We agree with you, right, I guess. And so, so we don't pass an offering plate because we don't want people to feel funky about it. We put giving boxes um, in the hallway on the way out. We put giving boxes in, in entry. We, we throw giving boxes everywhere, hoping that you would trip over them and change would fall out of your pocket. <laughs> We have, we have considered, true story, putting giving boxes in the bathrooms. While you're doing that work, you got time to write a check, I'm just saying. Kind of gross, I know, but true. 
That's what we, we think God is calling us to. So in all of my study and preparation and all, all of my nervousness about talking about money, I can't help but hear the heart of God himself saying, just do this, man. I, I remember um, talking to someone last week after the prayer meeting on Tuesday, and they, they just encouraged me. They said, Jeff, you understand that the people, they're not the hindrance for you. Right? The, the resources are unlimited through God the Father. He, he owns it all. He has it all. This building was his idea. It'll get done. The, the, the issue is then is bringing people along with him so that they can enjoy the ride as well. Can you imagine being one of the 12 that was with him when this crazy stuff was going on? Can you imagine being at work telling your coworkers the, the amazing things that happened? That the coworker that everyone can't stand, again, his name is Bob. We don't like Bob. <laughs> That that coworker came to church on Sunday and he, he gave, um, he relinquished his rights on his life and decided to follow Jesus and call him Lord and Savior. Can you imagine what that'll look like in your workplace when those miracles begin to take place around us? So as we were getting ready for all of this, I ran across um, another passage in Mark chapter 10. I want to um, talk to you about this as I sort of get ready to wind down. In Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus. Jesus is, again, he's traveling around, and there are so many people gathering around Jesus. They call them crowds. We don't know how many people are in these crowds, but wherever Jesus went, the crowds seemed to swarm around him. And in the middle of one of these times, the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, and just so you know if you're visiting, whenever I say Pharisees, feel free to boo. Just go boo. Okay, so here we go. So the Pharisees, yeah, yeah, boo. <laughs> you guys are great. I have a lot of fun. It's crazy. This is my job, just so you know. This is a lot. So anyways, the Pharisees come before Jesus and they're questioning. Oh, hey. oh my, what have I done? I <laughs> said, so these people come before Jesus. <laughs> they, they come to Jesus and they're questioning him about, about things in the law. They're talking about divorce and some other stuff, just whatever. And Jesus is sort of giving it back to them and just telling them this and that. And it says after Jesus gets done and sort of instructing them, instructing them that, that, the, that this, cr this crowd of people begin to bring children to Jesus which is kind of a weird thing, right? I mean, they're not offering them to him like, here, take my child. They're, they're bringing them to Jesus in hopes that Jesus would lay his hands upon them and pray for them and to bless them. You guys know this story. And then Jesus' disciples, his own disciples, listen, Andrew and Peter, the ones you think would know better, Mark tells us that they rebuked the crowds for bringing them to Jesus. And it says that Jesus became very indignant at this, that he was very troubled that his disciples would do that. I want to talk a little bit about what I see in that story. The, the children then, I know when you bring pictures of your kids and whatever else, we kind of ooh and ah about your kids. But back in that day, children were more of a, um, a hindrance than anything else, right? They were second-class citizens, much like women, which is terrible to even admit, that they didn't have a voice in governance. They didn't have a voice in the courts. They, didn't, they were just extra people. They were just people that men needed, right? And so the disciples are standing in this place, and they're, they're bringing children to, to him, and, and they just go, no, no, he doesn't have time for this. Don't, don't bring them to him. But when I saw this with fresh eyes this last week, I, I learned something. Can I ask you a couple questions? 
aren't children the most needy people you've ever met in your life? Whoa. Do they or do they not leave a wake of destruction behind them wherever they go? Yes. Are they not the most selfish people you've ever encountered? Yes. The answer to all of these questions is yes. See, what I think that the, the parallel that we can see here is that there are needy people around us. There are people whose lives are a complete wreck. In fact, you stop taking their calls some days. When you see them call, you just silence the phone because you're like, I ain't got time for this drama right now. And it's those people that God is calling unto himself. That this, the, the picture of the children coming to Jesus and the disciples rebuking them, and Jesus is frustrated. He's like, no, no, let these people come. And what does he say? Because there is, in these, th- these kids deserve to inherit the kingdom of God. It's theirs to have if they can come. And the people all around us, the needy ones all around us, the ones who are struggling and with addictions and all kinds of issues, the ones who are... are um, uh, troubled, if you will, the ones that the rest of the world says aren't deserving of a second glance are the ones that God is calling to himself. So the question I have then, which group of people will we be? Because you see two groups of people, don't you? There's the children, not talking about them. They're talking about the, the crowds that are bringing them to Jesus or the disciples who are rebuking them for doing so. The question I think God has for us today then is which which group will we be? Which one? Which one do we as a church want to be? Listen, I know we are not those who stand with our hands out, not allowing people to come in. I know we don't do that here. I'm telling you that our small space does. Some people won't come back if they've visited once and it's too crowded. We need to make more room for more people so they can come and understand the truth and love of Jesus. When you leave today, I, I would implore upon you, take one of these books with you. Don't take two, <laughs> they're expensive. <laughs> I can't tell you, <laughs> but take one and look through it and see if there's questions that you might still have and, and reach out to us or whatever. And more importantly, take this commitment card and say, Lord, man, Jeff just pegged me this week because I'm that guy who comes and doesn't give. Lord, do you, do you really think I could give something? I'm broke. Not just broke, I'm college broke. And that's a whole other level of broke. Amen? God, how would you use me? And ask him, man. He is not afraid of you. He is not worried about your questions. He is not fearful that, that if he asks you to give, that you'll run away from him. He is inviting you to not just know him, but to join him in the work that he's doing. And you take this commitment card and you consider it, you, you pray about it. And then in a couple of weeks when I, I go full on bold and I just say, hey, let's fill them out today. Today's the day. Are you ready? And everyone with, with shaking finger, we write out our commitment and then we hold you to it because that's what God would do. So I just want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads? God, thank you for our time today. Yeah, we are so um, blessed that Jesus has again made an an opportunity for us to know you. That he is the lamb to be sacrificed on our behalf. 
that because of his work on the cross, we are no longer bound to do anything but to receive by faith the gift of salvation. And God, we know that this gift of salvation doesn't end with us, but it is to be professed and confessed to every corner of the globe until all would come to know you. God, we, we stand together as a church and we, we say yes to the vision that you've given us. We say, yes, we want to move forward. Yes, whatever it takes of us to make more room for more people, we want to do that. God, we thank you that you would, that you would give us such a wonderful place to gather, such a, a wonderful group of people to, to call our family. Look around you. This is so great. Lord, we thank you for what you've done here. We, we ask, God, that you would continue to do your work. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys are great. Would you please stand with me as we go back into a time of worship and thanking God? If anyone has a prayer need or request that we want to minister to you, if you want to go out this back door into the room on the right called the prayer room, makes sense, right? We'll pray for you out there. We do it out there not because it's special or more holy, but because it's more quiet. We can hear you out there. But know this, our first desire is to minister to you. If there's any need that you have, anything, we want to pray with you today. And so while the band is playing for the next 10 or so minutes, and while everyone's standing, just sort of sneak out the back and over there. No one will notice that you're gone. And let us pray for you. Is that okay? All right. I love you guys. I think you're great. Um, hope to see you next week. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.